0: Thank you. Welcome to Season 2 of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kelby Bachman, and I want to talk real quick about the show notes. So in the show notes, you'll find a list of numerous books my next guest and I discuss in this episode. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete, coach, or just someone who embraces different perspectives. Uh, you can find a few of them in the show notes. Also in the show notes, you'll also find an app called Wild AI. So, Wild AI is an app specifically for females who are training in any capacity and helps them reach peak performance by allowing them to work with their physiology and not against it. So, again, you can find all this information in the show notes. As for the song you just heard, it is I, the Tiger by Survivor, and it is also the walkout song for the next guest on the show, Lori Ayers. Lori is, simply put, a true ambassador of the sport of wrestling. She helped jumpstart the girls' wrestling scene in New Jersey and co-founded D1's Women Wrestling. If you go to d1womenswrestling.com, something you can also find in the show notes. So again, that's d1womenswrestling.com. You will be able to find all sorts of resources for women's wrestling, such as how to start a women's wrestling program or a women's wrestling club. Pathways to building a varsity women's wrestling program, competitions, colleges that currently have a women's wrestling team or club, and so much more. It's a great website, great resource for women wrestling. And all this information has been put together with the help of Lori Ayers, along with others. Um, But Lori Ayers has been at the epicenter of it all. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Lori Ayers. I know you have... Do you have two brothers or three brothers?
1: I have no brothers. You I have, have no brothers? I have no brothers. I have a twin sister and an okay. sister. Yeah. So hmm. I have um no brothers. I grew up in a wrestling family though, because um my cousins wrestled.
0: Ah, uh, there you go. Okay.
1: It was just like it was just the sport in my family, right? Sort right? of the forward. sport that was put on a pedestal and yeah. it was considered above all other sports and just um, interestingly off limits for myself and my sisters in terms of offerings, and so uh, mm-hmm. grew up really not even thinking about it to be honest with you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Was uh, you know I was a, a daughter of Title IX, um, being that I was born in 1977. Mm-hmm. Title IX um, was passed in 1972, so without even realizing it, uh, I was participating in sports like field hockey and basketball, sure. and um, not realizing that my mother and my grandmother and, you know, just a generation before me had almost zero opportunities. And so it just seemed like to me, like just what you get. And I looked at the offerings and chose the ones that seemed interesting to me and participated, but wrestling wasn't something that was um, mainstream at the time. By the time I got to high school, there was like in New Jersey, there was like a token girl all here on this team. And, you know, one girl across the state on this team but certainly it wasn't something that was accepted. And, and and they went through some things that I felt like I wasn't prepared to to deal with, or mm-hmm. it wasn't something that was supported um, in my house at the time. And so just never put myself out there, but was so attracted to the sport just because, you know, in my house, again, it was the, the thing to do and it was so highly talked about. And, and so I always wanted to be around it. And so I, I did, uh, sort of find myself just always being around the wrestling team and wanting to to know them and just being inspired by the commitment that it took to be a wrestler
0: mm-hmm. so what was the lineage like did your dads do it your grandpas your uncles like when you say it's the sport like where why was it the sport or how did it become the sport
1: you know, that's a great question, uh, Kelby. My, my father didn't wrestle and my uncle didn't either. I think it was just recognized in my house that um, my dad and my uncle thought that it took such commitment, right, to see what the my cousins went through, my dad's nephews. And um, and yeah, it just, I just I think it was something that they respected so much and talked about so um so positively that it was just something that resonated with me yeah and i'm not really sure like why they fell in love with it so much i think they just were fans of sports in general and just like quickly understood the commitment it took to be good at wrestling Mm
0: -hmm. what about your sister did was did she take to the sport too
1: you know what? They both loved it. And and they're both huge fans of the um, the work that my family does in wrestling and the, the sort of connections that we have now. And they show up for us all the time. But um, but, yeah, same kind of thing. The message that all of us got my, myself and my sisters was, was that it really wasn't an option for us at the time, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate, because looking back, I would have been a great wrestler. I would have loved it. <laughs> yeah. So
0: off of that, when did you realize, like the first time? that you could be involved in the sport or heavily involved in the sport? Cause like we just talked about back then, you didn't see, you saw them, like you said, the token every once in a while you'd see one. So yeah, you know, when did it dawn on you? Like, you know, I could be involved in this sport in some capacity.
1: <laughs> well, that's a great question. I, um, I always wanted to be involved. Right. So mm-hmm. I met my husband in high school and he was a wrestler and I followed his career for so long. Um, he went, ended up going to Blair for a, a postgraduate year And then he enrolled at Lehigh and spent four years undergraduate at Lehigh wrestling for the Lehigh university wrestling team, Chris Ayers. And so got to see like a bird's eye view really up close view, um, of, of his experience. And honestly, the jealousy was, was built there. Like I I wanted to experience some of the student athlete experiences he was having. So I would say I, I lived vicariously through him at that time. Uh, Uh, Greg Strobel was the head coach at Lehigh University and his wife Donna Strobel was was involved in so many ways in terms of culture building for the program. Uh, Lehigh has a rich tradition in wrestling and the the campus and the community there are are very much behind the program and so it it feels like a, a family when you're there and she was basically at the foundation of that family with hosting events and, you know, um, (laughs) I mean, making like, like, you know, snacks and things for the bus rides and just constantly like, you know, doing all those like, like team mom kind of things, I guess. And so I was like, wow, that's, that's how you, you, you know, you get involved as a woman. This is the things you do. And those are the things she was naturally good at. Mm -hmm. I was not naturally good at those things. So when Chris (laughs) became an assistant coach at Lehigh after we graduated Um, he, he, you know, I, I tried to do some of those things, right. Like host events, things like that. I can't cook. I'm not like, I like, those aren't the things that are my strengths. Um, and so, uh, I quickly saw that like, oh my gosh, like there's not really a place for me here. And I, I would say that for a long time as he was an assistant at Lehigh. And then when we first came to Princeton, when he started his head coaching job here, I just sort of like, I wasn't tapped into as an asset within the program. I was something that, was very much, you know, partly my fault, but it certainly wasn't a a time period where I was being asked to sort of like contribute the skill sets that I had at the time. Uh, It it just wasn't something that was happening. Um, But then when I came to Princeton, I feel like this is where I uh, opened up. People started to, you know, have... Uh, ask me questions, be curious about the the things that I did on the side and wanting to like include that into the growth of the ecosystem here at Princeton. So like I have a graphic design background, I'm an educator. um, And so, yeah, so being able to bring those skill sets into the space here has made me feel included. I think as women, uh, we want to feel like we can contribute and we want to feel like we're being asked our opinions and I feel like when I came to Princeton, not uh, nothing against Lehigh. I mean, I, I had great experiences and great memories there. I think we've evolved as a wrestling community since then. But um, I really feel like in the Princeton community, I was welcomed in. I felt like part of the group. And then that period where um, you go from be feeling welcome to feeling like you belong um, really started to happen. So, yeah, it felt good to be seen and to be sort of like utilized for the skill sets that I have.
0: Okay. So yeah, you said you have a graphic design background. So, you know, you went to college and where'd you go and what'd you do?
1: I went to York College undergraduate Mm -hmm. and um, got my elementary education degree. And then I went to Lehigh for my graduate degree um, and special ed. And then on the side, um, you know, gained some skill sets in graphic design. So Mm -hmm. yeah, so I'm an educator now. I work um, as a teacher and then I do freelance like graphic design so yeah.
0: Nice so you're a teacher what where do you what grades you said you got special ed so are you does that allow you flexibility to work with all sorts of ages?
1: Yeah so I love my job I work at an elementary school called Bear Tavern Elementary mm-hmm. School um, it sounds a little bit like a bar, but
0: it's an <laughs> a little bit.
1: Uh, and it's interestingly located uh, near Washington Crossing State Park in New Jersey. So the spot where um, Washington crossed the Delaware. So lots of history there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I teach fifth grade. Um, I, I work with students with language-based learning issues. So kids with mostly um things like dyslexia that they're working through and challenges like that. So it's, it's a fun um, space to work in, in terms of um, learning about coaching through wrestling and trying to apply some of those skill sets into my classroom and vice versa. So, so yeah. Cool. Okay. So how long you been doing that? Oh gosh. I would say I'm going into like my 23rd year. I had about five years off when I was raising my kids. Yeah. um, yeah so there's some some space there but but I really enjoy teaching and it allows me some flexibility in the summertime and mm-hmm. and in the evenings to be that advocate for girls and women's wrestling so it's very cool
0: yeah so I guess let's get into that a little bit so when did you start to you know come up with this idea of you know d one women's wrestling you know, that's what you're the co-founder of d one's d D1 one women's wrestling when did that start to become an idea that you had that you needed to start to explore?
1: Yeah. So, um, I would say like up until around 2018, Mm -hmm. I was a fan of women's wrestling and girls wrestling, but it hadn't hit me personally with regard to like, um, like seeing it up close and and what was going on at the time. Mm -hmm. Then, um, my daughter was, um, when she turned around 12 or 13, I had noticed that, she didn't want to leave the wrestling room like she was literally like you know chris is like right by her side constantly and like closing the door with him at the end of the night and things like that and i i know the the feelings that i had in terms of jealousy of like seeing all these cool experiences seeing the evolution of these young men and how they um how they grow and change over the course of their time at princeton and she had jealousy there's no doubt about it. i recognized it right away and i said to my husband like i think she wants to wrestle and, you know, I'm embarrassed because we hadn't offered it to her as an option. Just like I hadn't experienced. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, she, I, she doesn't want to wrestle. Like, mm-hmm. that's not what she's into. And I said, like, well, I think you need to ask her. And he did. And she was like, like, her reaction was so ecstatic. Like, oh, my God, really? Can I? Like, can I try it? Mm-hmm. And we both thought it was like a phase. And um, and so it wasn't. She fell deeply in love with it. And still is that like last person in the wrestling room most days. And so I started to see uh, what was available for women or young girls, excuse me, at the time, because she was around 12. And it wasn't much like, unfortunately, much hadn't changed in New Jersey. She's 20 now. So this wasn't a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it it was sad to me that from the time I was in high school, like not not much had gone on. And so at the time she was in middle school, so we kind of like piecemealed our way through that and then when she got to high school she had gotten pretty good like right she had like some resources that made her um um a pretty good wrestler so she made the varsity team and um and so she was the 106 pounder for the for the new jersey um princeton high school team which was impressive because new jersey is a good state for wrestling and uh Actually, I made it to like postseason, and she went to districts, and I was excited. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, lost her first two matches, and that was it. It was like, you know, a lot of the like rock star guys came in and, and beat her. And I thought to myself, God, this stinks. Like this, we haven't made any progress here. There's still these women who are like trying really hard to come out here and be these one courageous women in the room, and and we're not we're not supporting them the way we need to, and so. I just was like upset and I'm a graphic designer. So I put together this design and it was like New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And it was like girls wrestlers. And I was like, like, what can we do to like help these women? And I like flashed it up on Facebook Mm -hmm. and I went to bed and I woke up in the morning and it had something like, I don't know, like 60 to 70 shares and like overnight. And I was like, Oh my God, like that's interesting. Like there's some like interest in this and curiosity about it. And then interestingly enough, Joan Fulp who is um, a co-chair with Andrea Yamamoto for the um, United, um, USA Wrestling High School Development Committee, um, Joan Folk saw the graphic design and she reached mm-hmm. out to me and said like, hey, we're working with USA Wrestling to sanction states across the country. Would you be you know, willing to get on a call and talk to me about like helping to form a grassroots group to do that in New Jersey? And I was like, what the heck? Of course, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> so it was sort of weird the way it happened. And then the rest is history, like we got on with Joan Fulp and she worked myself and a few others through the process of what had worked in other states, so that we weren't just like throwing spaghetti on the wall, she was like try this." she she would first she listened. And Andrea as well. And, and we told them about some of the logistics going on in, in New Jersey. And then they were able to say like, oh, that's the same thing that happened in this state or this state, try this, try that, try this, this approach might work. And literally, I was like, you know, copiously taking notes mm-hmm. and following all the steps that they gave us. And, you know, to New Jersey Athletic Association's credit, really the credit all belongs to them. And specifically to Bill Bruno, who was the executive director at the time, um, we got it done really quickly. And so New Jersey, um, high school sanctioning was passed. And then, um, like my daughter went on to win three state titles the next three following years for girls wrestling. We had it at the, um, boardwalk hall alongside the boys. Um, so it was really like a Cinderella story. I honestly couldn't believe it was happening. And, um, and then, you know, sort of to get to your, your question, uh, I started to think about how she was gonna matriculate into college and what her options were. And I was really disappointed with um, the fact that there were really limited options at the division one level. Mm -hmm. And so not to say at all, and I, I don't, I never want to misspeak here. I want to like really emphasize that there are great options mm-hmm. and there are great academic options. No one, I am definitely not saying that there's not great academic schools that offer women's wrestling, but we, as um, women <laughs> should have all the options. And so to only have four D one schools that are currently offering women's wrestling wasn't acceptable. So back in 2020, um, myself and Hira Berry and Jackie Davis and the great Emma Randall, who you just um, interviewed a, a little while ago, which I highly recommend that everybody go and listen to that podcast because it was amazing. Um, we sort of uh, got together and thought like, how can we move this forward? And and just knowing what had worked in the past in terms of Title IX efforts and you know women's sports teams, we know that um, small groups of women's working groups um, can get a lot accomplished. And so we um, we lean on each other and we've been doing that for a while now. And we provide education support for these women who are at D1 schools that don't have varsity programming, because these women who have been wrestling or have been wrestlers attending D1 schools have been there for years. Like we're, there's women who have who have been part of D1 campuses and D1 programs since the early 2000s, <laughs> excuse me, if not before. But the reason that they haven't been able to get as much accomplished or or get to get these varsity programs uh, up and running is because that we haven't had the support behind them i mean so um so now when they face obstacles they can turn to us and we can help them through that with the resources that we have at our disposal and honestly the the offers to help and the different communities that are willing to to go to bat for us when we do face those obstacles is 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 awesome. So that's really how it was formed and started.
0: Wow. Yeah. So. um, sorry. I'm just like thinking about all that. It's just a kind of a crazy whirlwind story of how even New Jersey sanctioned girls wrestling. Um, I guess one story I want to tell real quick is I saw a tweet, you know, back a little bit ago, a couple years ago um, from a woman wrestler who said, not everyone wants to grow up to be a Hawkeye. This was when um, Iowa had brought on a D1 program or announced that they're going to have a D1 program. And that, to me, highlights what you're kind of talking about, is you want all the options. You know, not everyone wants to be an Iowa Hawkeye and wants to wrestle at Iowa. Unfortunately, they're the only Power 5 program to have a D1, you know, a women's program right now. And so, to your point, they want all, you know, let's get some more options for them, you know, someone m- might want to go to Princeton or Lehigh or or Iowa State or Penn State, wherever. Um, but you said that people can reach out and like you can provide them support. What what kind of support can you provide and where can they reach out to you at?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. So um, honestly, there are options. Right. So it's a difficult um, decision for an athlete to make when. On one hand, they get admitted to their dream school, Mm. but on the other hand, they love the sport of wrestling and really want to be part of a woman's team. So it's, it's, it's a really a, a heart wrenching decision for a lot of women. And so it isn't easy. I'm certainly not saying that, like, you know, going to the D1 school of your dreams and picking that choice and trying to build opportunities for yourself is going to be an easy path and it's not for everybody. And that's totally Okay. But the options that are there that we try to advocate and um, make sure that women are aware of is that there are women on D1 campuses that are starting women's freestyle wrestling clubs. And so um, the reason that that's so powerful is because decision makers on these D1 campuses want to see that there are women um, as part of their student body that want this sport added as a varsity sport. So if you look at the history of like sports that have been added at the varsity level at D1 institutions, most of them start as robust clubs that um, a uh, athletics department can sort of push the easy button on to go from club status to varsity status. So if there are, for instance, many women on campus that are part of this robust club, there's already competitions that are set up that they're participating in. Um, there's a coach established, there's a pipeline, there's interests, there's, um, like sort of advertising and marketing going on. There's applicants coming in every year that are interested in being part of this club. It's much more of an easy sell to Mm -hmm. a decision maker than like, we're starting from scratch. You're going to have to do everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. so again, it's not for everybody. And some of these women, I would say, they're like a little bit falling on the sword in terms of like adding to their to-do list with not only like being out on their own for the first time, you know, experiencing a college Um, situation, but then also trying to build a program. So the one option is to start those varsity women's wrestling clubs. And we see successful clubs that are um, happening at schools like Harvard and Drexel and Brown, Princeton, Duke, Rutgers, Columbia, Lehigh. Um, So lots of different places where these women just couldn't turn down Um, that admission to the school they really wanted to go to and it's and it's effective right so the, the athletic departments like can't ignore them even though in most cases the club recreation department is separate from the athletics department um, they can meet with the athletics department, talk a little bit about the success of the club program. They can have like interactions with if there is a men's varsity team at the time. There can be exhibition matches. Um, all the women's college opens are available to those athletes who are part of the clubs. And there's over 30 women's college opens um, across the season. Wow. So Really, you could put together a whole season competition and be able to compete against the women that are part of those college programs um, in addition to all of the USA wrestling events that occur. So I know for you know our my own personal experience with my daughter, who is a student at Princeton University. Um, she's been part of that club process and she's been able to access those competitions. I mean, for instance, like Princeton, the Princeton open, the men's open added a women's division last year. That was one of the events she participated in, nice. she participated in Midlands, um, that men's tournament. So those are other options too. In addition to all the women's opens, the men's open. So that's one option for the women at the D1 institutions. Another option is rostering on the men's team. And so,
0: really, yeah, I didn't know that was an
1: option. Well, so it's not an option that's like highly flashed out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not an option for everybody, for sure. Like not every female wrestler is, first of all, going to feel comfortable in that space. Mm -hmm. And second of all, um, you know, it's not something that I think athletic administrations are super eager to see happen. Um, So uh, there is a little bit of a loophole with, um, you know, women's collegiate wrestling being freestyle and men's being folk style in terms of like going through that emerging sports status phase, um, but there are uh, cases of women being rostered on my team, my daughter being one of them, Marisol Nugent at UNC being another. Uh, so it is something to consider for probably a more experienced athlete who needs to be in a room and being challenged. And, and then, you know, there's some different things that go into that as well, building a culture around having that be a, a positive experience for that wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd be surprised at, at how evolved, um, men at the collegiate level are these days. Like I think my generation, which, you know, I'm 46 years old. I think we think that it's, it's going to be more difficult in some instances than it actually ends up being because they've grown up with women in their rooms or girls in their rooms and they're much more comfortable with that. And so, uh, so yeah, so that's an option. And then also obviously, um, we see a lot of the women opting not to go to, um, varsity collegiate programs, but entering into schools where there's um, active regional training centers. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's great if you can hit all three of those. if there's not varsity women's programming and you can attend a D1 school that has Um, you know, established or you can establish the freestyle wrestling club for women. Um, If there's an option perhaps to roster and there's an RTC, then you're sort of like in in the best situation possible minus that varsity women's program. So what we do as um, D1 Women's uh, Wrestling is we'll go in and we'll help to advocate and support. So building a club is not an easy task and it's certainly not something that when you're 18 to 22 years old, you've had a lot of experience Um, you know, doing those types of things. And so even from uh, writing the constitution and the bylaws for the club, um, from, um, you know, kind of working through uh, the bureaucracy with the the club sports and the policies that happen at universities, we help them navigate those types of things. So when they have questions or they have meetings or um, they're getting pushback about certain things, we'll get on calls and sort of work them through that. In the beginning, we had a legal team that was working with us that helped us put together like sample constitutions and sample bylaws. So we have those up on our website, d1womenswrestling.com, and people can go there to download those sample forms and just use them as a, a base when they're trying to re, um, sort of rework and get their proposals right for their clubs. So in any way that we can, we're supporting the beginning of programs. And you know, just just this week, I was talking with um, a woman from Duquesne University, which is in Pittsburgh, and she's going to be attending as a um, first year at Duquesne, and she's interested in starting a club there. So we were helping her with some resources. Um, and then you know, beyond that, it turns into now we have the club approved, and now we have to get women who are um, wanting to be a part of it. We have to build competition schedules and practice schedules. We have to make sure that we are offering opportunities for women who are novice because we're inviting everyone to be part of our club so women who are um who've never wrestled before who that sounds crazy and I sat in meetings about 5 years ago and I was like you guys are nuts there's not going to be any woman at the collegiate level who's going to want to start wrestling for the first time I was 100% wrong <laughs> um and those women come out and they want to be part of it and so we have novice competitions for them And, you know, Emma Emma Randall is really leading the charge on educating our club leaders on how to run a practice schedule and give everyone what they need and really differentiate for the novice wrestler all the way up to the wrestler who's training to be on a world team and how you can make that work. And so we do all those types of things. I was just on a call yesterday. We had supported um, financially, along with the NWCA, five women's club leaders. So we had five women attend the coaches convention in Florida who are leaders for the clubs across, um, our D one program. So we had leaders from Cornell and Duke and Lehigh and Rutgers attend. And so I was on a call yesterday and they're super excited about, um, putting to work all the things that they learned and, uh, and yeah, so it's just, it's, it's really just a unique opportunity for us as leaders in D one women's wrestling to grow and then to really foster, um, the growth for the women who are stepping up to do these, this great work.
0: as And that all sounds really rewarding. And as rewarding as it sounds, how do you balance that with being a mom, a wife, a working, you know, you, you have a full-time job as a teacher, you know, it's just, you have a lot going on. How do you sort of, you know, keep all the balls juggling
1: I love that question because I really don't know how. I think like um I I love doing this. My husband always says he's like you don't know how to have fun. <laughs> he's like you are not fun. So I, I it's funny. It's like kind of like the running joke in my family that I'm not fun. Like if I if I laugh or like I'm out doing something they're like, "Oh my god, are you having fun?" <laughs> but I I'm intense for sure and I like I lean into that just who I am. Uh, I actually have fun doing these things, right? Like mm-hmm. I love, yeah. for me, it's fun accomplishing these things. For me, like, and listen, I don't, you know, I think the best advice for any coach in wrestling or any coach really of any sport, especially at the collegiate level is like, find a really great partner. Like <laughs> if mm-hmm. you don't have a great partner who understands the commitment that you're, you're, you're putting in. Um, as a coach or a leader in wrestling then it's going to be tough for you right so the best thing that I have is a partner that we both get this right we mm-hmm. I, I get wrestling he gets wrestling it's our family business our kids both love it um it's really like all we want to um, sort of be involved with and talk about we love this wrestling community i I love it with every shred of my being. Um, being a part of it. And so like when I'm on calls, you know, right now this summer, I've been working with USA wrestling and Wrestle Like a girl to video produce a new coaching course for them, which is going to be, um, it's going to be a called a teal coaching course. So they have um, copper, bronze, silver, and gold. And in about two weeks, gosh, it's going to become available to all coaches uh, with USA wrestling cards. And actually it's going to become something that's continuing education. So it's going to be a requirement, but it's, um, it's for girls and women wrestle. It's for coaching girls and women wrestlers. And so I'm getting on calls with Taylor O'Donnell Bacher, who was, you know, on the first Olympic team in 2004, working with Mike Clayton. I mean, you can't, these are fun things, (laughs) even Mm -hmm. though it's, it's fun. And, uh, and yeah, so I get up every day and I'm excited. I I have summers off as a teacher. And so I pack as much women's wrestling, girls wrestling as I can into these um, short months. And then every day when I'm off at four, I I jump into a few hours of of work in women's wrestling, (laughs) enjoy it. It's actually my fun. So,
0: yeah, and I can tell, I'm sure everyone listening will be able to tell the passion and just, you're right. The fun that you have doing it, um, one question I want to have, I have for you is, you know, we talked about some of the the positives that's happening, but um, there's still some hurdles, you know, currently in, in girls and women's wrestling. So like, what, what are some of those hurdles that they're still facing that maybe, you know, we're kind of getting blinded or lost in the fact that it's growing and that's great. And there's momentum and that's great, but you know, we we obviously want to keep it going, you know? So yeah, I guess what, what are we currently facing here that, might need to be looked at.
1: And, you know, that's everything I think on the, on the boys and men's side, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're trying to think, how can we be better? What can we do um, differently? But there are hurdles, like you said, I think if we're looking at the high school level and just actionable things that we want coaches to be conscious of um, Mm -hmm. we're moving now really. And I think so many coaches are like, of course, this is like sort of a no brainer, but we don't want to have just like the open door approach anymore. Like when we talk about recruiting and of course, recruiting's coming up the season of like being out in the hallways and trying mm-hmm. to pull people into your wrestling room. I think before it was like, well, girls are welcome here. You know, like, look, the door is open. Like it's been open for a while and they're welcome to sort of like toddle in here and be part of like what's already existing.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: really that's, um, you know, and the great words, again, I'm going to mention Taylor O'Donnell Bacher. She, I was on a call yesterday and she put it perfectly where like there's gonna be handfuls of girls that will respond to that technique, where it's like they're they've been from you know, coming from wrestling families, they're used to wrestling rooms, they feel comfortable with that male gaze. And they're going to come in when there's an open door and they're going to be a part of it. Those are, that's only like handfuls of girls. Mm -hmm. If we want to get armfuls of girls and we want to have more than two or three women on teams and we want to create full teams, we need to start to adjust the way that we are running our programs and make those programs more welcoming for women. And so how do we do that? Well, um, you know, we get out of the room, we go into the hallways and we ask women to come in and be a part of it. We actively recruit female coaches to be a part of our programs. And so, um, you know, I'll hear a lot of times from people and I get it. It's, you know, <laughs> it's not easy. You're going to have to be actively looking for these women. It's, you know, I can't find a woman. I don't know where to look. I, you know, just, there's not someone in our circle who wants to do it. I've asked people, they've said, no, um, we have to keep trying, right? Like you have to keep looking like there's got to be a sport coach in your building that maybe doesn't know anything about wrestling, but loves sports. Like ask her to do it. Um, Look for a a female who is like from a wrestling family. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like I had said, I was at the convention. I was part of a panel this past week. And I said, I was from a wrestling family. I'm an athletic person. I was a runner. I did marathons. I was absolutely part of the wrestling community. No one ever asked me to help coach like a women's team. Ever. Like, so I know that we're not asking certain women who would say yes, who would be, who would be like honored to come in and learn alongside these new wrestlers. I can learn just like a, a new wrestler can learn, you know, and I'm an educator. So like, I could maybe learn even a little bit faster and teach them some things they might've missed from the technique session. And there's a lot to being a coach, right? Beyond just teaching the technique. Um, so we, we need to keep looking and asking women and ask them more than once. If they say no, women have something called imposter syndrome that has happens to them a lot. You know, they don't think they can do it. (laughs) There's women I've talked to who have like wrestled all through college, who've gone and gotten business degrees, who like are life coaches. And they're like, I'm not qualified to be a coach. It's like, what? And then you talk sometimes like to a man, he's like, I I coached a little while or I, you know, wrestled in middle school for like three days. I can coach. (laughs) It's like, there's that difference in like what we think we can do. Mm. And we've grown up with sort of this image of like, you know, what a coach should be and this authoritative sort of like masculine kind of role. And that's not it at all. So encouraging women, asking them more than once, if they say no the first time so definitely bring them in and really just like, I think identifying, and we've talked about, about this with the course that we've been building out um, for the, for the USA wrestling and wrestling a girl. But, like, looking at your code of conduct and really thinking, like, are we doing things in here that are welcoming, especially if you have a co-ed program? Um, One thing that we brought up a lot is, like, if you have, like, a shirts-on policy for the women, like, if you can't be walking around in a sports bra, that kind of thing, like that should go for boys and women or boys and girls, like then the boys shouldn't be allowed to walk around with their shirts off. Like, like things, if, you know, you're bringing the women in like really rethinking like how things work and making sure that everyone feels like there's equity and there's, and you're welcome in the space. So uh, those are just a couple of things. I I actually have a a friend. I mean, she is amazingly um, uh, important to our wrestling community, Afsoon Johnson. And so um, she was at the first international competition that USA Wrestling sent a women's team to. So Afsene Johnson, she she won our first um, international medal for the United States in women's wrestling. Um, She was an immigrant from Iran as a child. And so uh, Craig Sesker wrote a book about her And her time um, when she came to the States and she started wrestling in California and she started wrestling at the high school level and then went on to wrestle at at the D1 college school. But the book is amazing. Like I have it right here. I have like a million Mm. different notes I've taken on it. Um, And if you go to afsoonwrestling.com, myself and um, Olivia Lefty, who is from uh, Canada, we helped Afsoon put together a book club um, guide that you can use with your teams to have them like, you know, a co-ed team, like read a chapter and have a discussion. And there's so many great conversations that can come up between like boys and girls on a team to really kind of get into the different struggles that each of them might be going through that people just don't understand because they haven't experienced it from someone else's perspective. So, you know, I would encourage all coaches to like, you know, just be like, cognizant and conscious of the girls in the room. And like, even like carrying like a pad and paper on your person and writing things down that you see that like, you might have to take five minutes here or there to coach into and lean into on your team. Even if it's like, um, you know, I'm noticing that there's some like gaps in like emotional intelligence going on. We need to talk about how do we handle ourselves in these situations? Or, um, you know, like I'm noticing that some of the women might not fully understand some of the uh, National Federation High School rules on the uniforms. We have to go over that a little bit, like in terms of like the higher cut sports bras. And, you know, we need to think about like how we're going to I'm hearing some comments on like anxiety about the uniforms. Like we need to uh, you know, get in there a couple of weeks before competition and talk about the rules and then go over like what options we have for these women so they feel comfortable. A lot of it is just sort of like alleviating anxiety. Um, a lot of women don't want to come out at the high school level because they're anxious, right? Like, it's like, what's going to happen when I get into that wrestling room? Like how is practice going to run? It's like when you don't know what to expect. So as much as the coach can sort of go in and think about like, how can I alleviate any anxiety for this wrestler? Like how are practice partners going to be picked, um, how can I like let them know that there's not going to be that anxiety when like all of a sudden the coach announces like, okay, get a partner. And they're like, Oh my God, like everyone's experienced that at some point. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: If you're in a co-ed space and you're like, Oh my God, I'm the last one picked. I'm not going to have a partner. I'm to go with the coach all those kinds of things that the coach can come out and say like, you know, for the first two weeks, I'm going to be picking your partner. So no worries there. Um, you know, I'm going to, we're on the second day of practice, we're going to go over uniforms. So like, you're not going to have to worry about like uh day before competition, getting a singlet that doesn't fit right. And you're like terrified of getting out on the mat. Cause that's a real thing. Like, a, mm-hmm. like a night before competition, uh, a, a female athlete will depend on her coach and she'll hand, hand her like a male singlet <laughs> and she, you know, at home, she may maybe doesn't have a sports bra that's appropriate and and that drives her away from wrestling. He'll get a call like that she's sick or, or something like that and uh and then we don't know why she quit wrestling, but you know that's part of it. So there's lots to think through and I I'm so thankful to the coaches that are stepping up to do it because it's not an easy job for sure. But um you know those are some things to think about. So we do have some growing pains there, I would say. We also have some growing pains at the Um, state level for USA wrestling programs and that's something to be expected you know we don't go from from zero to 60 with complete equity overnight. I I do think that uh, there there is some work to do with restructuring the way some of our leadership is set up at the state level. And that's a hard conversation for some people to have. And I get that. I I come from traditional wrestling and there's sometimes it's really hard for me as well to think about doing things differently, but we do need to start thinking about as we're adding the other half of society, how we're structuring our state organizations to support to add more seats at the table, um, to make sure that there's working groups within our state organizations that are thinking exclusively of girls and women's wrestling, just like we have um, leaders who are thinking almost exclusively of boys and men's wrestling. So it's that we're in that transition phase, um, uh, Kelby, where we're going from like women were sort of that like a little bit of a like add-on, right? We were like, we're doing the right thing. This is goodwill. We're bringing the women in. We're bringing the girls in. This is so great. Look at us, like, like yay, you know, whatever state. (laughs) We're doing a good job. Our numbers are growing. And now we're at that phase where we're like, okay, like now we need to really look at the way that we're supporting this equally. Like we're not an add-on to the agenda. We're not at the end of like our state meeting where it's like, we're going to do this event and this event and everything's going to be the same as last year. And oh yeah, how are we going to add the women in now? Let's talk about that for five minutes before we leave. Um, so that can't be where we're at. We're at. We have to have intentional leadership, and that's challenging. So we're at a kind of a challenging crossroad with some of our organizations nationally and at the state level, where we have to start making some of these tough decisions and adding some folks in and um and thinking about how we're welcoming um change into our organizations. So yeah, that's probably where I what I would say.
0: No, that's you know that's a great point. You know, um, great points you made there. I guess while you were talking, I was nodding my head a lot because I thought of, say, let's just say track. Okay, track and field. All right, they're they're the same, but they are a little different. You know, w- women run fifteen hundred meters, not sixteen hundred. They run the three thousand, not the thirty two hundred. So there's some differences in the sports. So you, while well, I think we all just expected just to just add women's wrestling and be like, all right, it's just going to be the same as the boys. You know, we already have a a model that works here. It is. And we're just going to add women's wrestling and so be it. And it's like, that's not necessarily the case. You know, you do have to tweak it a little bit and you do have to change and adapt to, you know, the women's side and the girl's side and what is going to work best for, for them, as opposed to just, trying to almost throw them all in one big pod and be like this is this is the model that works so it's going to work for the women too and it's not the case you know
1: it's 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 and it's not people like it's not people who, who aren't um, well-intended, right? Right, I,
0: right, I, correct.
1: I really believe the best in most people and they're trying to do their best. And mm-hmm. as, we, as we learn more, we get better. I mean, there's a lot of new exercise science information coming out right now about women in sports. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like we haven't seen a lot of research on women um, directly in sports. We basically had all of the, most of the studies um, the participants have been men because it gets to be so many additional variables when you add female participants to research studies. So we've mm-hmm. applied a lot of what we think we've learned in um, exercise science to women based on research on men. Wow. And so, yeah. And so we, we very recently are learning a lot of Um, Interesting tidbits about women and the menstrual cycle and how we can coach into um, the different phases of the menstrual cycle and how important, especially for a weight conscious sport like wrestling, to not be pushing our women to be cutting any kind of extreme weight. Mm -hmm. Because it can have long lasting drastic effects on our women. And I think those are things that, um, you know, are very, to your point, specific to women wrestlers. And it's something that our coaches need to be educated on. And, And that's a big reason why I'm excited about this, this teal. Um, coaching course coming out from USA Wrestling and Wrestle Like a Girl to really specifically talk about the two phases of the menstrual cycle and how we can coach into, you know, for example, the beginning of the um, the phases, the phase in the menstrual cycle where we should be pushing our athletes to compete a little harder and build um, muscular strength as opposed to that second phase of the menstrual cycle where we should be pulling back a bit when our Hormone levels are a little bit higher and that's getting into a little um, technical um, sort of like talk, but it's important for coaches to go there and be aware of um, some of this information so they can share it with their with their athletes. And, and so everyone's better educated on why it's absolutely <laughs> important to mm-hmm. protect um, bone density in athletes and not be pushing some of this excessive weight loss that we we've seen in our, our wrestling culture.
0: Yeah, yeah, and just to also understand why, you know, hey, yeah, um I'm going through my menstrual cycle and I'm holding more water than normal. So, yeah, I'm not losing weight or, you know, even if I'm cutting 5 5-ish pounds, like I I'm holding water, so I am it's harder for me to lose. You know, and and I think even just that slight understanding and would go a long, long way for your athlete to be like, "Oh, hey, my my coach gets it." And that is trust. That's building trust and understanding, and and we'll keep that, you know, that girl or that woman out, rather than them just saying, "Well, they don't get it. I, I quit."
1: You no, know? absolutely. We're all learning together, so it's right. Uh, so and the athletes included. Um, but there's resources out there, you know, there's there's different um, applications that they can easily use on their phone to track their periods mm-hmm. and understand um, what phase that they're in and what might be best in terms of, um, of their training. And to your point, like when they're going to be holding on to water weight and when it might make um, weight cutting a little more challenging, especially wow. in that, you know, the same kind of thing when their their um, core temperature is a little bit higher in the second mm-hmm. phase of their menstrual cycle. And so it's going to be harder to get a sweat you know, like the sweat going the way that they mm-hmm. need some, some adjustments there. So yeah, it's, it's something to can, um, to consider. And and certainly like that continuing education that as coaches, we want to make sure, and, and leaders in the sport, we want to make sure that we're, we're, we're doing, especially for our girls and women as they come into our spaces.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, where did you sort of, I mean, when you got into this, you know, how much knowledge did you have? Because now it seems like you're just like a wealth of knowledge, but obviously that didn't, Come by just, you know, sitting around. You you've done a lot of research. How did you come up with all this and learn all this?
1: Oh, I love that question. So honestly, I'm just I'm a, I'm a learner, right? Like I I listen to podcasts, I attend conventions. You know, I go to the. Um, this is the first year I, I'm not attending the USA Leadership Summit in Colorado, which is actually starting tomorrow.
0: <laughs> really. <laughs>
1: I I I you know like I've been going to the um National Wrestlers Coaches Convention for for 20, almost 20 years now um So, yeah, the the resources are out there. USA Wrestling does a great job with coaches education. Like I said, the the copper, bronze, silver and gold coaching certifications. Now they're adding that teal one as well. The information is out there. Erin Sparold, who is a um, sports nutritionist that works for Lehigh University. She um, was um, part of our teal course. And she also had a session down at um, the National Wrestlers Coaches Convention. It was, gosh, like two weeks ago. week ago and it's all blending in now. (laughs) But but yeah, so she was talking specifically about some of the things we were just mentioning in terms of the menstrual cycle and and, and the importance of of being aware of, um, of how it affects our athletes. And so, yeah, it's, it's all the information is out there and it's really at our fingertips these days. Um, There's an application that I absolutely love called wild W I L D wild AI. Um, And that is something that women can easily download onto their phones and it helps them to track their periods. And then also it gives them an ability to set up a check-in so they can design the check-in really to be more extensive or less extensive in regards to how they're reporting, how they're feeling on that day in a lot of different regards. And then um, it becomes intuitive in terms of giving them feedback based on their check-in. Really? also based on current research that's coming and being populated into the app so for instance it will like show you what day you are in your menstrual cycle and then it will give you um information or tips on your nutrition for that day, your hydration, um, like what training you should, um, you know, possibly be engaging in based on, uh, exercise science, as well as the information that they're populating with the check-ins that you've done previously on those days in your cycle. So this is just great information for Mm -hmm. building self-efficacy for athletes to go in and say like, Oh, Hey coach, like I see that you have me like hitting, like you know, the, the, the weight's pretty hard today, like based on what I know about my body, like this might not be the best day for me to go through this hit workout as well as like the strength training mm-hmm. regimen that you have planned. Like, would it be possible for me to do more of a recovery workout today based on some of the like, so anyway, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's educating our athletes because, uh, you know, if a coach has 20 to 30 athletes in their room, it's understandable that they're going to have like maybe one set workout with like one modified option and not something that's going to be conducive for every single athlete, depending on where they are in their cycle. So it it gives that athlete some um, agency to like advocate for themselves. And so Mm -hmm. that's one application I would highly recommend, but you know, there's tons of, of research out there. um, That's newer right now. One book that I would highly recommend um, is good for a girl by Lauren Fleshman. Um, She was a runner for Stanford and she talks a lot about her journey um, and she includes a lot of the um, newer exercise science. There is another book up to speed, by Christine Yu, um, which talks, again, a lot about the exercise science that I'm speaking about, but, uh, but like tons of great stuff. So,
0: so pretty much the, the information's out there. You don't have to search too hard for it, but it's out there. And if you want to find it, you'll find it.
1: Yeah. And it's up you know? to us. Continue to, to, mm-hmm. to find it. And to yeah. continue, like, th- there's never a point where you stop learning. Like even this conversation, I'm learning from you um, uh, Kelby and, and conversations. I think I'm so impressed with what you're doing and, and how you're sort of gaining new skill sets as a, as someone who's still also attending school and classes. And so we're all learning and we should all be uh, responsible to continue to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, one thing I want to ask you about is you mentioned it a little earlier, um, that sometimes, um, women in the sport of wrestling have imposter syndrome. Um, And so I want to ask you if you ever felt that and if you did, how you got over that and how you would recommend or, you know, help other women and girls who are listening to this sort of get over that hump, too, and know that they belong.
1: You're asking such great questions. (laughs) (laughs) I actually (laughs) spoke about this. Uh, Jackie Paquette, who is the deputy director for um, the National Wrestlers Coaches Association. Mm-hmm. Um, had a celebration of women's wrestling down at the convention, um, you know, at the end of July in Fort Lauderdale. And I was so honored to be able to get up and um, speak for a little while at the convention. And one of the things I talked about was this, right? Mm-hmm. And so I shared a story about a time, you know, I, I absolutely 100% still have imposter syndrome. Like, really. Know, you while I'm speaking in my head, I literally have a voice that's like, who do you think you are? Like, why, who are you to be like on a podcast talking about wrestling? You've never wrestled. Like these things go off in my head. And you know, it's like, boils down to that. Like what other people think about you is none of your business thing, but I can't get over that. Sometimes I'm just constantly Mm -hmm. like, what if this person thinks I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing? Or what if this person's judging me because I'm I'm stepping up to be a leader in this space or I'm adding my voice to the conversation and I shouldn't be because I don't have the background that they think is appropriate. Like constantly this goes on in my head. And I know for a fact that that goes on in so many, in so many of the heads of the girls and women that I work with. And of course, I think that the boys and men experience this too. I'm certainly not saying it's exclusive to the female mm-hmm. gender but I think more so for the female gender. And so <laughs> one story that I'll tell you that I shared at, at the speech um, at the end of July was that I had helped for a number of years um, send our New Jersey girls team to Fargo. And so if you've ever like helped to prep to, to get a team to Fargo, um, you'll know that it, it's, it's an amazingly <laughs> like arduous task, right? There's a lot of moving pieces, And it's not an easy thing to undertake. And so, you know, from organizing, like, like registration to like marketing and advertising for like what Fargo is and what it isn't to like organizing schedules, practice schedules, travel schedules, like schedules for practice. Once you get to Fargo, like, like, I mean, there's a million things that go into it and um, one morning I was like, you know, sleeping in the dorms of Fargo and I'm like, you know, my alarm goes off. I'm getting up early to go run with this athlete because like they have to cut some weight to make weight that day. So I'm like running with this athlete and like, you know, encouraging her to like, you know, keep going because you certainly have, you know, isn't that the point where she can stop yet? And I see Heath Macaluso crossing the street. He was the women's director for New York. And of course, like Sophia Macaluso and Mia Macaluso, his like famous uh, daughters who wrestle like internationally and um, for East Stroudsburg University. Uh, He's crossing the street and he's like, come on coach. And he like waves at me. And I like was like, what is going on? And I'm like, who is he talking to? And I like turned around, like honestly, like not even imagining that he was speaking to me. It was the first time anyone had ever said coach to me. Um, and certainly, I think like if I had been like a male, uh, you know leader in that space, and I had done all the things that I had been doing for the girls' team, I would have been referred to as a coach. But for some reason, no one had thought of me that way, and I hadn't thought of myself that way. And so it was really like an eye-opening experience for me because I was like, you know what? I am doing all the coaching things. I'm doing all the coaching things, but I'm not being considered a coach. So I think for myself, that was a moment where I was like, you know what, I'm going to start calling myself the things I'm doing. And so from that moment on, I, I have, you know, in moments called myself a coach I, in moments, I have like advocated myself as a leader in, in wrestling. And I am a leader in wrestling. And even Kelby, as I say that to you, and as I said that at the speech, I, I have a little bit of like, that goes on in my head. Cause I don't, I certainly don't want to sound like I'm not a humble person, but like right. important to like, you know, step into the space that you fill, um, and I, I am a leader, and I want to make sure that I set that example for the women coming behind me. That it's okay um, to um, sort of exercise that 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 statement, that title and, um, and feel confident about it. So I'm trying to, to be better with it, but certainly it's something that I think as coaches, if we're conscious about it, and we know that many women experience that we will understand why we have to ask more than once when a woman says like, oh no, I can't come coach, you know, like, and be persistent and welcome them into the space and understand that those women that like hang out, on the seats on the side watching their sons and daughters wrestle at practice every single day they don't miss a minute we all know the parents we're talking about Mm -hmm. those women who are part of those groups probably want to be included more than than they're being included They just don't know how to ask because they don't feel like it's their place. So find out what their skill sets are, find out what their hobbies are, um, and then use their skill sets to your advantage in your wrestling ecosystem, because we're missing out on a lot of people um, that we're not considering in terms of leaders for our programs.
0: That was that was pretty powerful stuff right there, because one, it shows that. You know, fortunately or unfortunately, you you still struggle with that to this day. And, And it just goes to show that, like, you know, people listening go, okay, if she feels that I feel that, too. How did she how does she deal with it? It's okay to feel those things and still, like you said, take up space. You know, it's okay to be like, man, do I really belong here? Should I? But then answer those questions and say, yes, you do. You know, I mean, yeah, that was just. That was just, I, I love it. I love well,
1: it. Mark, Dr. Mark McLaughlin, who is a huge advocate of wrestling, he's a spine doctor, a neurosurgeon in, in New Jersey, so like a real slacker. Um, <laughs> but he, he went to William and & Mary and he was like an EIWA champ, like lots of history himself as an athlete and now just as a huge supporter of wrestling. He wrote a book called Cognitive Dominance and he talks about this journey. And really I, I sort of associate, um, impo- the imposter syndrome that I go through with some of the um, like graphics and like ideals he talks about so he talks about the hero's journey and if you think about like like the four quadrants of like a graph um, he talks about like in like the upper um, the upper right hand corner uh, if you split it into like a, into four, right, mm-hmm. um, how like that's like the comfortable place, like where we all feel comfortable mm-hmm. and we're cruising along, like nothing's bothering us. We're having like, a good time and feeling <laughs> great. Uh, but we can't stay there. Right. We can't stay in that quadrant too long and feel good about ourselves because we start to feel like, what could I be accomplishing? Like, I'm kind of like, you know, being a little lazy here or whatever. We have all f- have felt that. And then if you drop down into that box below it and think about like sort of it going around in a circle, it's where like some kind of like fear, you encounter some kind of fear where you're like, can I do this? Like, am I qualified? Like, can I push through this little bit of fear? And then it's either like, you're gonna go back up to comfort zone or you're gonna push through and like get to this really difficult spot over here in the left um, bottom quadrant. And then if you can push over here and push through it, a lot of times you're you know, going to kind of go back and forth, like scary over here, coming back to work through it, like scary over here, coming back to work through it. But then if you can push all the way through up into that upper left hand quadrant, that's where the new learning takes place. And now you have new learning and you're feeling really good about yourself. And then you get back over here to comfort land. So like he calls it this hero's journey because you're really like, if you can push yourself through that and you can spiral and keep going and keep learning and, you know, getting, you can't stay in like this discomfort zone forever. You have Mm -hmm. to get back to safe land so you can recover and like be like, okay, like let me evaluate what I've been through now. But I think, like, that's sort of the wisdom that I, as I was 46, have learned th- through advocating for women's wrestling. Like, life isn't getting easier, Kelby. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's not like, I'm like, wow, like, I'm pushing the easy button. Things are just, like, really happening for me now. I'm just continuing to, like, try my best to go on that hero's journey. And then I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. My skill sets are getting better. And life seems to be getting easier because... Mm-hmm. I'm getting, you know, more skilled. And I just would push any woman who's in that space of like, when you feel imposter syndrome, it's that fear bomb, that fear Mm -hmm. bomb happening. And, you know, if you can push through it to the new learning, then you're going to just get better as a a person, as an individual, as a leader. Um, And it's okay to take some weeks in that comfort zone and enjoy some vacation Mm -hmm. off from from pushing yourself. But but it's important to, to get back into that hero's journey again at some point.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned that you were called a coach and you were like, man, I am a coach because, you know, it's funny, you, you were a coach and are a coach, like you coached in the corner with your husband and, and you coached your daughter. How, I want to ask how special that was to be, you know, to have the three of you, you know, all on the mat at the same time like that. I mean, I, I imagine, was that even something that you even thought was going to happen in your lifetime?
1: Oh my God, no. It's been such a Cinderella story. I can't even tell you. And it continues to be. It continues to be, it's like to have her at Princeton now experiencing what I sat on the side of the mat jealous that I didn't get to experience. And then Mm -hmm. saw her, you know, experience that jealousy and now see her. Um, to have this amazing experience I mean it doesn't uh, (laughs) I did not grow up in a household where Princeton was I I grew up in New Jersey and I don't even know if I ever heard like the name uh, of the you know university mentioned in my house it wasn't something that was considered so to have um, my husband working here for almost 20 years to live in town to have my kids think of Princeton University as their backyard like these are not things that I had intended for my family. And I the, the gratitude for the people that we've met here and, and all that they've poured in. Uh, it's funny. A few years ago, I'm, I'm like, I had shared, I'm an artist. And so mm-hmm. I had um, painted some canvases with the slogan, like Princeton is a wrestling town.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so like in Princeton, we have these like black squirrels and we have like some different like symbols and things like that. Um, and, <laughs> but uh, I had included some of them and like some images and we got made fun of in like our paper, our newspaper in New Jersey that like covers wrestling. They're like, Oh my God, like they think that Princeton is a wrestling town. And so like, you know, years went by and now we have, you know, Olympic like athletes that are vying for Olympic spots. We have national champions. We have, you know, growing, this growing collegiate program, our youth wrestling program is filled with incredible people. So we, we literally have like, cradle to like the Olympic podium going on mm-hmm. and we absolutely are a wrestling town. We have cauliflower ear and Starbucks. It's great. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's been, it's been amazing. And, and now to see women's wrestling taking off and, um, and to see the fans that are growing for women's wrestling and, and we have a responsibility to keep that going and to, to build better fans of women's wrestling. And there's, there's certainly ways that we can go about doing that too, but, uh, But, yeah, it's been it's been a really, really great uh, experience.
0: Yeah. And just the last couple of years, you had, you know, Quincy Monday in the finals and then Patrick Glory this past year winning a national title. I mean, just like you said, I mean, if that doesn't make you guys put you on the map or make you a wrestling wrestling town, I don't I don't know what does, I guess. But (laughs) certainly cauliflower here in Starbucks is probably one of the defining factors of why (laughs) Um, I want to ask you you know as we wrap up here um you know what plans do you have for the future you know what's what do you have coming down the pipeline what's just sort of in the works or what what thoughts do you have for the future of what you're going to do at D1 women's wrestling just sort of give us maybe a, an inside look at what what what's next
1: yeah no and i don't see myself slowing down anytime yeah. soon in terms of my advocacy i I do. I am a realist, though, and I understand that I am putting in a lot of time at this point um, as on a volunteer basis. And so in order for that to, like, you know, be sustainable and continue with that, I am starting to think about um, like how I want to move forward. I'm not sure about that yet. I love the idea. I had a lot of fun this summer working, like I said, with USA Wrestling and Wrestling Like a Girl to sort of combine my background in education and graphic design and to video produce this this course, that was something that was super enjoyable. Um, But I also love culture building. And so, you know, every every week uh, as an organization, D1 Women's Wrestling invites uh, leaders from all the national wrestling uh, associations to get on a call. So that's one of my favorite times of the week. <laughs> Again, I'm not very fun. So I lean into the intensity. But, um, so at five o'clock on Mondays, you know, leaders from the National Wrestlers Coaches Association, USA Wrestling, Wrestle Like a Girl, the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, um, gosh, who all? It's like, oh, our um officials, our USA Wrestling Officials Association and on and on and on, get on and we talk about issues within the women's wrestling space and we just have an ongoing agenda and Oh, flow gets on too. And yeah. So our working group really is, I feel like making such a difference in terms of how we see like events rolling out, how we see women being added to decision-making tables. Um, Yeah. So I love that work as well. So I think the the easiest way for me to answer is I'd love to be involved moving forward on culture building education and visually like um, kind of displaying, uh, educational materials, um, on social media or whatever platform is sort of available and, and, and widely seen. So, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, and what y- you've talked about a little bit, how you, you know, it's fun. This is fun, what you do and you love it, but how do you take a break and how do you just reset yourself to make sure that you can keep putting all hundred percent of yourself into D1, you know, women's wrestling and just everything that goes along with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, my husband and I were so fortunate to live in town in Princeton. Mm. And it's like such an awesome area. Um, so we have a lot of date days where we go for walks and, um, you know, he's a wrestler. So his hip sometimes bothers him on the longer walks. So i don't <laughs> be sensitive to that but um but he certainly uh has the 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 chutzpah to, to walk with me into town and, and get bites to eat here and there we have great food options and so we'll get a drink and and sit and chat and we have uh, a lot of common interests obviously in wrestling but in athletics and and women's sports he loves to follow women's sports too so you know you know and um and so we do that and then I love like I have a people kind of, chuckle with me they're like you have a son I'm like I do I have a son too <laughs> so my son is um you know almost five years younger than my daughter and so I'm really excited about that because as she's moving into her junior year of college you know Chris and I still have um like the high school experience with him he's only going to mm-hmm. be a sophomore and so I, I certainly wasn't ready to like be done with parenthood um and and so really the the high school space um in new jersey for um for for male wrestlers is an awesome place to be so going through that with him he just got into um um try doing triathlons too so really? been doing some of that so that's been fun uh, yeah so anyway just hanging out with my family and tend into my gardens and and things like that so just to sort of relax and i love podcasts i go for a walk every day and that's another great way for leaders and coaches to educate themselves mm-hmm. like um, you know, listening to books on tape and listening to podcasts. Um, the book "Think Again" Mike Clayton had um, referred to me. I loved that book. Um, I think Adam is Adam Grant wrote that or um, something like that. But anyway, he that was amazing. A, a great read I, I recently had. So yeah, I just like enjoy to continue to learn and grow. And then I come back, and every morning Chris brings me coffee in the morning. So. Uh, I say we call it coffee with Chris, and uh, he listens to my like ideas, and so uh, so yeah, we find time to relax and, and have fun and enjoy each other. Well,
0: that's good. That's good. It's it's good to have that time to decompress as well, so you can come back fresh and like I said, a hundred percent, and put your all into into what you're doing. And and I just I guess I want to take the, a quick second to thank you, you know, for all you've done, um, not only for women's wrestling you know, because you've done a lot, but wrestling as a whole, you you know, um, I don't want to put you in a box and say you've done a lot for women's wrestling, because while that's true, you've also done a lot for the sport, you know, um, for coaches, athletes, just um, high school, college, you know, um, little kids, all of it, you know, and um, just want to say thank you. You know, there's girls and women who have opportunities now. And I I know you're going to, you know, say it's not just because you've had a lot of support but since I'm talking specifically to you you know that um because of you and the things you've done that they have opportunities now that they wouldn't have before you know and so i just yeah i wanted to take some time to say thank you and show that i'm appreciative i'm sure everyone's appreciative and so i guess i'll say yeah on behalf of everybody <laughs> you know just just thank you for for all you've done and and continue to do it's it's important and and I love it so thank you.
1: Oh, well thank you so much Kelvin. I'm honored to have chatted with you today. So thanks for having me on the show.
0: Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. Special thanks to my guest, Lori Ayers, for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Cover art created and designed by Kristen Gill. Please feel free to rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and my brand new Facebook page to hear more of my content. Don't forget, check out my website at letstalkwrestlingpodcast.my.canva.site. And as always, be sure to tune in to hear the next guest of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. Take care. See you next time.